Good morning, everyone. How are you? Are you good? I'm glad to see you here. It's like a little family reunion for me every Sunday when I get to look out and see everyone. So let's welcome Jesus into this place this morning. Would you just join me in prayer to just ask him to to feel free to move here? Lord, we thank you for being here today. You have met us in this place long before we sat down. And Father, we're glad that you're here. And we want you to know, we want you to move in us. We want you to move through us. And Father, we want you to teach us. So Lord, be welcome to move. Holy Spirit, move in this place. And as we give you this offering of praise, I pray that you will be pleased and that it will be a sweet fragrance to you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship together and praise him this morning. Every praise, every praise. 
what that would be to see, to witness. And we have a God that's that powerful. There is nothing out of his reach. You are not out of his reach. He loves you. And he will chase you down as far as he needs to go, and he'll reach down as far as he needs to go to get you and to pull you up. He loves you. Shame is a prison as cruel as the grave. Shame is a robber and he's come to take my name. Oh, love is my redeemer, lifting me up from the ground. Love is the power where my freedom's on the sound. There ain't no
God we have. He is remarkable. We had a really beautiful thing happen to us yesterday where you're going to get coffee at Kangaroo Coffee in the Springs. We were by ourselves and the person working there was alone. And when we drove up, This is a move was playing on their speakers outside, which is one of the songs we do here. We're going to do it next week, actually. And uh, I was like, wow, that's a pretty bold song about the Holy Spirit to be playing at a coffee shop. And so we drove up, and she came to the window, and I said, so that's a pretty good song you got playing there. And her eyes just lit up. She goes, yeah. I go, oh. Oh, no, it was Holy Water, not This Is A Movie. It was Holy Water. And uh, she's like, yeah, yeah, I, I love this song. I love it. And she started talking about it, and she got really choked up. And she couldn't keep the tears back. And I just looked at her, and I go, Jesus is awesome, isn't he? And she goes, yes. She says, I just found him. She had just found him. Isn't that awesome? And she had music playing. She wanted people to know. So she told us the story of how she came to know him, and it was beautiful, as God always does. And I told her, I said, I am going to pray for you, that you will become a mighty woman of God, that you will lead people to his kingdom. And she said, yes, that's what I want to do. And I said, you'll do it. So we need to pray for her. I have her name written down in my car. 
we need to pray for her that she will be a mighty warrior for Christ. But man, when you sing songs like this and then you see it in action like that where he chases people and he turns it around, it's awesome.
Amen. Just say, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. Give him some praise and just say, you are good. Thank you for being here, Jesus. We love you, Lord. You are worthy of our praise. We're just laying it all down for you now, Jesus. We're running back to you. You are our first love. You are the one that matters out of everything else going on in our lives. It is you that we need. It is you that's our focus, and it's you that we share. Because that's all that matters in this world, Jesus, is you.
Father, we love you. Some of us need to get back to you as our first love. There is just nothing better than sitting at your feet. Lord, we just want you to take us today. We just place ourselves before your feet. We want to sit at your feet. We want to soak you up. We want to learn from you today. Lord, correct us where we need correcting so we can be closer to you because that keeps us far away. So Lord, whatever you need to remove, pull it off. Pull that band-aid off. Dig that root out. Get us back to you, Jesus, because we need you. You are all that matters in this world. There are so many people in this room, Lord, and you love each and every one of them, and you know all of their story. You know the depths of their heart, and you love them and treasure them. Father, I pray they know that truth. And Father, I pray that they will come to you today. They will just say, Lord, here I am. I'm, I'm not I'm not fixed the way that I want to be fixed to present myself. But you know what? I know you can do that. And you can turn it all into this beautiful thing. Lord, I pray for hearts that, that are struggling. I pray for these people that just need you, Lord, to just take over. I pray that they'll let go of that last thread that they need to let go of. And Lord, I pray that you will just come now even more We want you to come into our presence even more. We want you to surround us. And Lord, we want you to to just hold Pastor Matt as he comes up here today. I pray that you will just pour anointing over him. I pray, Jesus, that you will line this room with protection. That your truth will get out. That nothing will stop it from going into ears and penetrating hearts. Because we need you. So set ourselves aside, Lord. And I pray that you will just make this tillable soil that will take those seeds that you want to plant so you can grow fruit. Father, we love you. And I just thank you so much for waiting for us this morning and for loving us the way that you do. There's just not a word that that can top that. I just don't even know how to thank you, Lord, but we do. We ask this in your holy, precious name that covers all things real quick just so y'all know this week coming up there's a bible study starting on wednesday night at 6 30 it's going to be focused on kind of the movie war room and fervent the book that goes with that and there's another book that goes along with that it's a co-ed bible study and you can come and start that this week and then also we have um on friday night starting friday night going through the weekend is going to be a prayer weekend. There's a simulcast that's going to start at 5 o'clock because it's Eastern time that we have to adjust to. So it starts at 5 to 7 here, and we're going to do a simulcast. It doesn't cost anything at all. Pastor Jim Cimbala will be the main speaker on that, and he is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. If you don't know his story, it's really an amazing story of how God's moved. So um, that's going to start on Friday night. And then on Saturday, um, we're going to have, um, we're going to join, uh, what's his first name? Franklin. Oh, Franklin Graham. Frank, Franklin Graham. <laughs> he is doing a prayer march on Saturday. We're going to join that and we're going to have prayer here starting at nine till one, I believe. Is that correct? 
Okay, so 9 till 1, and then we have a new members class starting in October. Don't forget to sign up for that. Talk to Pastor Matt, and that will be every Sunday afternoon starting at 4.30. And then start preparing yourself. Start praying for your hearts. For those of you that may want to get baptized, we have another baptism coming up in October, on October 18th. So start praying over that. Start praying for the people that are going to come forward and get baptized. We already have one coming and we're looking forward to that one. It was awesome last weekend. And so keep that on your calendars. You guys have a good week and Pastor Matt's going to come and teach us God's word. Thank you, Lori. Good morning. Good to see you all today. Glad you're with us. Um, hi. First of all, man, what a great worship set. Aren't we blessed with a good worship team? And I thank you, God, for that. It's good to have People who you know are just loving God right there with you and encouraging us in our worship. And uh, and I also wanted to share with you something this week that I was made aware of um, not too long ago. But so far, um, it's since it's at least since uh, I've been here this summer when we've been back since uh, the time of being kind of uh, not able to worship together because of the virus, we've seen three people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And we've also seen two become baptized. We're going to have another baptized. Yes, let's give God a hand. And it's all because of Him. We're thankful for that. But what you are doing is making a difference. I mean, even you know what, what was being shared this morning in regards to just going through the, through the coffee shop. I mean, even leave it to God to be able to transform a coffee shop. Amen? And make it into something beautiful for him. He can do it through anything. I want to, uh, I want to thank you for looking for the opportunities, for praying for your oikos, those people who you know that need Jesus and you are just kind of stepping in the gap, loving them and discipling them even though they don't even realize it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you uh, to our, uh, I want to say also this week, thank you to our security team. You don't see them behind the scenes, and that's a good thing. Uh, but they are behind the scenes making sure that your kids are safe, making sure that people in the nursery are safe. Uh, it's good to know that there are people watching our backs uh, as we are here. We're thankful for our security team. And also, I want to say thank you to our prayer team for initiating this prayer weekend where we are praying and hoping and asking God, please give us an awakening in our country. We need it now more than ever. We need to know more than ever who our God truly is. We need more than ever to bow our knee to the one and only Lord and Savior of this world. And so we're asking God to come amongst us and work through us and through the prayers and our actions as we seek to pray for a new awakening in America. Look forward to seeing you there this weekend as well. Well, thank you also for your giving of your tithes and your offerings. Thank you for loving this church and showing your love to the Lord by giving back to what he has given to you. Just a small portion. And so today, I want to just ask that the Lord would bless our tithes and offerings. Continue to bless your efforts as you work for him. And I want to ask uh, his blessings upon this service today. So join me as we pray today. Lord, we thank you. 
for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you, God, for how good you have been to us in the midst of battles and storms, in the midst of the ups and the downs. We thank you, God, that you still resource us with everything we need every day to be your disciple. And God, there might be some here today that might just be hanging on by a thread. I pray, God, that you will be their strong tower. And I pray for those who right now are feeling at the top of the mountain and they are just enjoying your presence up there. But Lord, I pray for all of us that may be in between, God. I pray that this morning you will meet us right where we are and reveal yourself as the giver of all our needs. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to be able to give up our tithes and offerings to you to be able to resource this church with the ability to minister to this community, see more disciples made. We thank you, God, for that. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. Well, today we continue in James, looking at chapter 2 of that book. And if you want to open your Bibles with me... Um, We're going to begin reading in verse 1, but first I want to just ask you, if you knew that you had the message, if you knew you had a a word, if you knew you had an, an even intangible object that would be the thing that could bring true, true peace, salvation, a complete change in our world, What would you do with that? If you realize that the enemy was just beating down the doors and you saw the church was kind of standing back in fear, what would that message be of your heart? Today I'm thinking of James and I just have tried to put myself in his shoes and and I've shared before, you know, there are times in which, particularly in our country, that we may feel like our backs are up against the wall. And I look at James, and as I see how he's sharing with the disciples that are scattered around the region, how he comes uh, to us and at us as if his back is up against the wall here in this book. He, there isn't much room. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't have much room that for a gray area. He just puts it right out there like it is. And today in chapter 2, he continues to just come right at us and say, look, church, you have the message that will change the world, that will and can change the course of history. You hold that in your hand. It's the most valuable possession ever. Don't let silly things get in the way of the greatest message ever told. And so he begins by saying, my brothers and sisters, and I love that about James because when he says those four words, my brothers and sisters, he's saying, I'm with you in this, I'm with you in the fight. But he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man who is wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good 
seat for you, but to the poor man you say, why don't you stand over there and or sit on the floor by my feet? Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? To inherit the kingdom he promised. Thank God he is a just God. To inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you who have dishonored the poor, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law, as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he said, he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And here's the great last four words of this statement. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We have something to rejoice about, church. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But here's the deal is what James is trying to reveal to us and he's saying in this portion of scripture is he says, mercy does in God's economy, in God's kingdom, mercy triumphs over judgment. But what's happening here in our churches? James is asking at that time. He's telling them and he's telling us that when we play favorites, what we actually are doing is assigning value to people by using a worldly measuring stick. It's what he was seeing was people were saying, well, you know what? You know, you over here, you're worth, you know, you're worth this much. But, but you over here, you're, well, you're kind of worth this much. And, and you over here, well, you're kind of in the middle there. And he's hearing these things and he's seeing these things happen in the church and, and, And he's asking them the same thing that he's asking me this morning. Because I can't read this section of scripture without asking myself, how do I value? Or, as James points out, devalue others. There's a new young couple that had moved into a neighborhood next to a retired couple. Their names were Mary and Bill they lived there for a long time, pretty much their whole life. And one morning, they were eating breakfast, and this new couple had finally gotten settled in. And Mary's looking out the window, and as she's looking out the window, uh, she saw this young lady hanging uh, clothes on the clothesline. She kind of looks for a while, and she told Bill, those, those clothes aren't even clean. 
She said, I, I don't think our new neighbor knows how to do her laundry. She said, I, I, I just can't believe. It. She kind of just talked about how she kind of felt sorry for her husband and how she's, you know, when she has kids, it's going to be a mess. And, and Bill, her husband, just remained silent there. And every time the new neighbor hung out her laundry, Mary would go to the window, make the same comments. Bill continued to say nothing. <laughs> and after a few weeks later, I, I, it, Mary was surprised. She looked out the window and she, she saw this nice, fresh set of laundry that was hanging from the clothesline. And in surprise, she said to Bill, she says, she finally knows how to clean her laundry. <laughs> and, and she said, I wonder how she learned how to do that. And Bill replied, honey, I might have an answer for you. Really? Mary said, he said, yeah, I, I do. I got up early this morning and I washed your windows. I guess we finally learned how to wash our own windows. <laughs> how I see others. How I see others, church, says more about me than it does about them. How I see others says more about me than it does about them. The way I speak about others says more about the dirt on the windows of my soul than it does about theirs. You see, sometimes as we are looking out in the midst of what's happening and in the midst of our situations and maybe in our own families or maybe our neighbor, who, who knows, but th there's times when it's so easy for us to just sling a little bit of the mud, but really that mud had to come from somewhere. It says more about what's coming from me than it does what's happening with them. C.S. Lewis said, and you may remember him from the Chronicles of Narnia or you know, screw tape letters. Anyway, he, he said this. He said, if people respect you, respect them back. He says, if people disrespect you, respect them back. He said, they represent their ideology. You represent yours. Here is something that I have come to understand. I cannot give to you what is not already in me. Did you hear me, church? I cannot give to you what is not already in me. I can't give what I haven't got spiritually. If I cannot see myself as God sees me, if I think of myself as you know just the worst person in the world and I, I believe everything that I'm here that you know man you can't preach and you're the worst this and you're the worst that <laughs> if I see myself like that, I can't see you. Hmm. The way that God sees you. Oh, I will be the first one to say, Boy, God always is letting me know, Matt, you need to grow in this area. You need to move forward in this area. You have surely not arrived. But here's the thing is I know that my God loves me. And because I know God loves me, I know he's got to love you if he can love someone as bad as me. Amen? If I see God as critical and cantankerous, that's how I'm going to see you. 
But if I see God as the Father who lavishes great love on the prodigal son like me with love, that's how I'm going to see you too. Pastor Greg, he tells us, those of us are on myself and on our staff, and he says all the time, he says, you know what? Outside of God's window, there's a carving on a tree that God has placed there with your name on it. I love that. It's a reminder to me of how much God loves us. If I believe that about me, then I must also believe that about you. How I treat others also reveals, it reveals how much I value God's work in me. How I see others says more about me than it does about them, but how I treat others actually reveals how much I value what God is doing inside of my life and what He's done through me and in me. And let me be real with you right now. On my own, I see myself as a mess. Never good enough. I'm never content. I'm not at peace. I'm always looking over my shoulder. I assume the worst. But since Jesus came into my life, I believe that anyone can be redeemed. Since Jesus came into my life, I have peace. I have joy. Even if someone looks at me and just spits in my face, I can still have this deep down foundation that realizes, you know what? There's something greater than that. And I have taken hold of it through Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. That's what we need to have as we go out into this world. We need to have a face that's unshakable and full of God's glory. Since Jesus came into my life, I'm more occupied with his plan than I am my own. Since Jesus came into my life, I see others as more valuable. And I have compassion on those that that don't know Jesus because I remember what it was like to not know him. I remember what it was like to walk around in darkness. I remember what it was like when I just felt this heavy burden and this weight that was upon me when I didn't know him as my Lord and Savior. And I don't want that for anyone. Not one person. How I see others says more about them. Excuse me, how I see others says more about me than it does about them. And how I treat others reveals more about how I value the work in Jesus, of Jesus in my life. I, I've, I've had to treat people just like you have, and you've had people treat you poorly in your life. You know, things don't happen, and, and, and we have ups and downs. And, but yet, at God's leading, when someone is treating, and I, and I want to just challenge you, when someone is treating you, maybe in valuing you as maybe up here sometimes, I want you to take that in stride. I want you to realize, you know what, whatever good that I'm doing, it's because God's doing it through me. So we thank God for that. But if someone just kind of devalues you, as James is revealing here, and they just kind of put you down, and they just kind of step there on top of you, and kind of move their heel in your face, I want you to just take a step back, and I want you to realize how God sees them, and let God allow you to see them the same way He does. Because here's the thing, broken people hurt people. Hurting people 
they, they rarely encourage. And, and, and it causes me to wonder when you're going through a situation like that, maybe you need to take a step back and wonder, what is broken in this individual? Instead of valuing them up here or valuing them down here. Hurting people rarely compliments. Maybe unless it's backhanded. Hurting people almost never put other people first. Hurting people hurt people. So Jesus reveals himself in me through compassion regardless of whether they deserve it. And he does the same thing through you, church. You who love the Lord Jesus Christ, even when people don't deserve it, you show them compassion. You love them through it. You don't value them up here or down here. You value them as Jesus values them. Because we're the church together. This one always gets me. From 1 John 4.19, it tells us this. It says, we love because he first loved us. And what it reveals to me is that, you know what? I mean, without Jesus, I'm such a mess. I can't even love God. Without Jesus, I'm such a mess that I can't even, I can't even you know, think the right way or love in the correct way, the way that God would want me to love. I'm even incapable of loving him back. I only love because he first loved me. Without the love of God intervening on my behalf and flowing through me, I am a mess. But when I do love others, it points to the work of Jesus in me. If I don't, it reveals that I'm trying to do this in my own strength. Ever been there? We all have. But me, without Jesus, we're realizing here, me without Jesus is a mess. You without Jesus Our mess. Our world without Jesus is a mess. But praise God, we have the answer. And James is saying, with the people that have the answer, you should know of all people how to value those around you. And not see yourself as something that you're not. Don't hear what James is not saying, church. (laughs) It's okay. To have favorite things. It's okay to have your favorite team. It's okay to have your favorite car brand or your favorite restaurant. But when you play favorites with people, you are making a declaration, spiritually speaking, of their worth. And that spiritual evaluation could shine very badly or very well on Jesus Christ. And in essence, when you and I play favorites, it is saying you are worth this much. You are worth maybe this much. We do it all the time. Maybe you don't, but I found myself doing it. And, and many of us don't even realize it because our culture has trained us to do so. If you look at a certain way or if you're really attractive or if you're worthy of attention because of something crazy that you've done in your world, in your life and, your, and around us, and then you know what? you're going to get our attention. You're worthy of the attention of Facebook or Twitter or whatever else. And I mean, there have been people who have literally made a career on just kind of being this uh, over-the-top, to put it the nicest way, type of individual. And it's all, look at me. 
But if you're not that way, if you aren't really attractive, if you don't look a certain way, if you don't and you haven't done anything that's way over the top, you know, exhibit A, you can look at me. (laughs) Maybe you're not worthwhile. Suddenly it becomes more lucrative than to become a cosmetic surgeon than a heart surgeon. Because everyone needs to change something to look a certain way and they feel that they are only valued and worthy of attention if they look the best. Or if the world says you fit into our mold, we'll give you attention now. We find this all around us. In our culture, an unborn baby is worth something if their mother or their father won it. If not, then our laws and our many in our culture declare them worthless. You know, they can be gotten rid of. We can just you know, take care of this. And that's a lie. Our culture has done a great job of promoting this lie. And by the time many have realized the tragedy of their decision, it's too late. And we thank, for, thank God for places like choices that we have in our town. And people here I know who have helped and, and are, you know, been a part of that and doing the good work and fighting the good fights. But here's something that we all know. These tragic decisions are made. But what compounds that tragedy, church, is when a woman comes to a church in our world and they're seeking love and acceptance and hope and forgiveness only to be judged and looked down upon because of a tragic decision. And they leave more hurt and more broken than when she came in. You see, we, church, are... Not to just be just judging by the world up here or down here. We need to judge people the way that Jesus does. And if we are a hospital for sinners, when a patient comes in, we don't rub their face in the failings of the past. Amen? We don't say to them, you know what? Hey, you know what? Here's, I mean, you were just so stupid. What were you thinking, you know, trying to ride that skateboard, Matt? I mean, that was the dumbest idea you've ever come up with. Of course you're going to break your neck, you big idiots. No, we are the ones who place their hearts in the nail-pierced hands of their Savior, who redeems the past and makes beauty from ashes and becomes the pathway for them. We have the plan, church, for a brighter tomorrow for our world. But it starts with valuing, excuse me, valuing people the way that Jesus values people next i i wanted to share that how i value people reveals if my heart lines up with god's values when i was born i was born nine pounds eight ounces Uh, my mom was not real happy about that from what i understand (laughs) but one pound of my body weight was my kidney it was a polycystic kidney. It was full of tumors and cancers and poisons. And, and it was a death sentence. Um, I was born at Johns Hopkins University in Towson, Maryland. And, and uh, they soon realized that something was wrong with me. And within just a matter of hours, they had told my mom and dad, he's going to die. My dad said that he basically just, he fell down. He just passed out almost because of that and and so my mom 
she, she decided this is not going to happen on my watch. <laughs> and so just that day after she began talking to doctors, what can be done? What can we do? They said, even if we tried, there's never been a successful surgery on a baby that has a polycystic kidney up to that time in 1971. There's never been a success. We've done successful ones on adults, but not on babies. This just doesn't happen. No one would touch it with a 10 foot, touch me with a 10 foot pole. And, and so she went around and she, you know, walking hallways and different floors and calling the doctors and every one of them said, no, we're not going to touch him. Look, it's, you just need to accept this is going to happen. Okay. And so she finally came across this young doctor just out of school. His name was Dr. Badi. And he was young and he was looking to kind of maybe make a name for himself in some ways. But he was looking for a challenge. And he said, well, you know what the statistics are on this. I can't even hardly give him a 10% chance to live. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and we're going to give it a shot. Are you okay with this? And I mean, they, you know, they had to you know, had come to their agreements and so forth and so on. We'll give it, but here's the thing I want you to know that if he makes it, most likely he will be a vegetable for the rest of his life. He's probably not going to have a normal lifestyle. He's going to have to wear a colostomy. He's good. It's not going to be pretty. But my mom says, I don't care. I want you to do surgery on my son. My dad was there working with my mom and supporting and pushing and encouraging. Together they saw through a doctor that would Take a chance on me. Well, they did the surgery, and some people might be sad, and some people might be glad, but I made it. <laughs> and so, but regard, and that's a God thing, by the way. That's a God thing. But here's the deal: we give God the praise for that. But here's the even better thing: is they said, okay, he made it through this surgery, but he, they put me, you know, and I had all these tubes and stuff coming out of me. My mom and dad said, and and and, and of course I had, you know, colostomy and all this other stuff. And and, and but anyway, somehow over here I had gotten my my foot. I wish I could do this today, but I can never even come close. But somehow I got that foot over here and pulled this tube out of my side. And the nurse, I'm bleeding. And the nurses are saying, oh, you just, we got to get the doctor. They called him in, stat. Hey, we got to do a cert, get him into the OR again because we need to re- reinsert this. And, and as soon as the doctor picked me up, I peed all over him. <laughs> God has a sense of humor too, church. <laughs> Every year, I would go to the doctor for 16 years of my life. My first 16 years, they would check me out. I, you know, are you okay? Or, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't eat this, don't drink that, don't. (laughs) I thank God for a mom who valued me regardless of my sickness. And my deformity. I thank God that He values you and He values our world regardless of our sin, regardless of our past, regardless of what others have used to just set marks of value on each one of us. I thank, I thank God that we serve a God who loves us no matter what. 
Favoritism tells people, ah, you're valuable, but you're not. And, and But for the church, those of us who have been energized by a living relationship with God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we know that every person, every person, let me just remind you, I just want you to know this. We talk about the unborn, but I also want you to know, do you know where the second highest suicide rate, in what age range that is? The second highest age range, it's in our senior citizens. Second highest. Because they are being told by our culture and by our world all the time, well, you're just kind of taking up oxygen. You're no longer the the vital people that you used to be. So, you know, why don't you just get out of the way? And you know what? That That is just a lie of the devil. Because I don't care if you're young or if you're old or if you're in between, everyone has value and everyone has something to give. Don't let the enemy tell you otherwise. Here is the church's measuring stick for human worth. I'm going to reveal to you right now what the church's measuring stick is for human worth. You'll find it to your right. The cross is Jesus' measuring stick for human worth. Amen? That's something that we should be excited about. I mean, that's something that James is saying to the church. Wake up, church. Don't play favorites because Jesus has already placed the value where it needs to be. But for the church, uh, we know that Jesus died for everyone. I mean, we, we say, what, what about this person's value? What about, you know, what about, you know, what about Larry's value? Larry's value is, uh, and, you know, and Jim, Jim's value is up there, and, you know, and then there's, you know, Harry, you know, he, your value is, oh, in the middle somewhere. And, and, no, that's not it at all, because the cross says every person is valuable. Were they valuable enough that the Son of God would willingly sacrifice Himself on the cross for their, for their salvation? Yes. That says enough. And the answer is always yes. And therefore the question of your value, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, is always yes in the cross. Every person, every born, everyone who is ever yet to be born, everyone who has been or are going to be, they are to be cherished. And we need to be leading the way with that banner church every day, every place we find ourselves. Because the God of the universe, the God of everything, sent His Son to die for everyone. God has shown us the value of every person by giving His only Son so that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. That's Good news, church. And I don't know about you, but I believe our world needs good news today. And you are the messengers of it. Isn't it a privilege? (laughs) I've actually seen some people fall into a trap, though, by misinterpreting this and other portions of Scripture. Some people can get kind of cocky about their value. Have you ever met anyone like that? Uh, that's right i'm valuable and you're not my judge so give just leave me alone (laughs) i I agree god is our final judge and yes you are valuable but don't fall into the trap that 
that we find so pervasive even in the church that we cannot judge what is right or wrong. 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things. Now, I want you to hear that very specifically because it didn't say, The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all people. Amen? It says about all things, not people, things. And so here's the deal, is you and I who have been filled with the Spirit, we do have the ability to understand through Scripture and through the Spirit what is right and what is wrong. Larry, if you'd come up front with me right now, I just want to ask you to come up. I I noticed that Larry was wearing an awful, awful shirt that would make you possibly value him differently than maybe you should. But uh, <laughs> he's been a good sport. And so today, I want I want you to hold this right here. Okay, just hold that. Now, in this hand, though, this hand, I want you to hold this over here. Just hold it for me over here. Yeah, thief. This is Larry's heart. I mean, this is, this is where we, we, what we're after is, is his heart. And regardless of what he's wearing and regardless of the bad taste that he has, we want, we love him anyway. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but just a month ago, Larry stole something. And so he's, he did the wrong thing. He, he's a thief. He, he screwed up. He messed up. Why did you? I mean, it was this willful decision, but he did it. It was wrong, and he's a thief. And so what we sometimes struggle with, church, is then we realize, okay, Larry's a thief. I'm distancing myself now. Larry's a thief. And, and we somehow begin to judge his heart based on this instead of this. Do you capture what I'm saying? It, it, this is a trap that Satan loves to get his church into because if we know someone in our town who's a thief or, 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 or you know, a jerk or whatever else you just want to, whatever thing you want to, a murderer, what, and we, we begin to say they're worthless because of this. But Jesus says they're worth everything because of this. Don't get it backwards, church. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't care what Larry has done. I don't care if he's not wearing orange and blue. We love him anyway. Because this has already been determined the value of with that. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. You did a good job. So. <laughs> if there are things that I am doing or saying... If, if I leave this place and I say, hey, if you're a new person here or if you just want to get to meet me, meet me over here and I start cursing you out and I begin to say, man, I wish you would have never come here. I want you, you had better pull me and hold me accountable. That needs to be done. I need a caring, godly brother or sister who would desire to build me up by pointing those things out not saying you're worthless pastor but saying those things you're saying those are worthless you should never have said that don't do that and while it's true that you're not my judge it doesn't mean that you cannot judge my actions as right or wrong as people who are in the spirit of jesus christ amen 
It's, it's this lie that suddenly we found ourselves as going down this rabbit hole in our culture because, oh, you can't tell me what I'm doing is wrong, even though it's clearly wrong in Scripture. Yes, we can. Because we understand what is right and what is wrong in the Lord and through His Word. But we don't judge the heart. God's already done that and shown the value of every person. Within the church, this is called holding one another accountable. And it must be done with love. It must be done with humility. Knowing that we easily could fall into the same exact thing. I could easily, just as easily be a thief or a Kansas City fan as Larry is. (laughs) But when we hold each other and hold another person accountable in Christ Jesus... It's always for the purpose of building them up, not for tearing them down. Amen? In our society, we hear these things called seeking justice, and no one knows justice, no one should know justice, better than the church. And justice in the church and by God is drenched with the love of Jesus Christ for our fellow man and our fellow woman, and it will reap righteousness in our world when justice comes that's godly justice and it comes down when we have an awakening in our country it means that sex trafficking will come to an end that orphans are going to have a home and the poor and the unborn they're going to have dignity and every widow is going to be looked after and they're going to have be treated with care and respect that's what we're supposed to be about church are you willing to step outside of yourself for just a bit Are you willing to step outside of maybe even your comfort and your contentment and say, God, work that way through me? There was a man by the name of Phineas Brzee who was around, oh, 120 to 140 years ago. And he began this denomination that we are a part of called the Church of the Nazarene. And Phineas Brzee, he was doing well in his own denomination at the time. I mean, he he had clout, he had position. He had a title, but he began to work with the poor and those who were disadvantaged and those that the world was kind of just looking over in kind of basically the Skid Row area of Los Angeles at the time. And Phineas Brzee said, you know what? Someone's got to love these folks. And and he was kind of been, you know, kind of been told, you know, you need to kind of focus more on the people who have the money because someone's got to keep the ministry going, right? And that's true. We got to have, have finances to keep things going, but, but not at the neglect of these folks. And so uh, he was asked to make a choice. He was either you stick here with what's happening and the good things that are happening in your life and you're going to have a good retirement. You're here. You are in your fifties and you, you probably should just, you know, ride this one out. Uh, or you can just go on to make the decision that you're going to go with that place that they call a glory barn. I mean, that's how rough it was when they first started the church in the Nazarene. And, and so Phineas said, I'll go with them. I'll go with the poor. I'll go with the disadvantaged. I'll seek after them. And he wrote these words after the church in the Nazarene began. And by the way, the church in the Nazarene, it was actually, uh, the name was coined by J.P. Whitney, who at the time was the president of the University of Southern California. And he had this dream and he said, I believe that this word Nazarene, it kind of encapsulates who we are. I mean, people, you know, it, it, it kind of encapsulates Jesus' lowly, toilsome ministry where he loved people regardless of where they were on the social ladder. And he said, "By the, you know, hey, what a great name. It, it says in Scripture, what good thing could come out of Nazareth, right? Let's show them, Phineas. 
And so J.P. Whitney and, and Phineas Brzee, they got together, he started the Church of the Nazarene, and these are his words. He said, let the Church of the Nazarene be true to its mission, not great and elegant buildings, but to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and wipe away the tears of the sorrowing and gather jewels for his diadem. It knows no difference between home and foreign fields. In these days, all fields are near. Boy, that couldn't be more true than today, right? We were convinced, he said, that houses of worship should be plain and cheap. <laughs> you don't hear that much anymore. To save from financial burdens and that everything should say welcome to the poor, welcome to the rich, and welcome to everyone in between. We went in poverty to give ourselves and what God might give us, determined to forego provision for the future and old age in order to see the salvation of God while we were yet here. We would have be glad to do much more, yet hundreds of dollars have gone to the poor with loving ministry of every kind. And with it, a way has been opened up to the hearts of men and women that has been an utterable joy. The gospel comes from a multitude without money and without price, and the poorest of the poor are entitled to a front seat—excuse me, a front seat—in the church of the Nazarene. I want to say this: God help us to see and to value others the same way that you do, God. That's what Phineas was trying to say. I don't care what your socioeconomic status is. I don't care how successful you've been or how disadvantaged you've been. I don't care anything about that. Here's what I care about. Jesus died for you and you have great value in the kingdom. We're going to get ready to close. But before we do, I want you to watch this. It's just an illustration of what it means to invest in others for the kingdom. about 5.30, get in the shower, do my morning routine, go around 7 o'clock to come to work. I am so excited to go to work, so I do a dance-off in the parking lot. It's a dance of magic. We serve breakfast, lunch, and hugs. The hugs are the best part. I am Tim Harris, and this is my place. Oh, yeah. Hey guys, welcome to my place. How are you, How are you doing? Today? I'm good. How are you? Aww. Those are the best part, buddy. I love you. Have you been here before? No, I've never been here before. Well, I'm Tim. I'm the owner. Tim's place is the special place to be at because it's run and operated by me. You guys are doing a great job back here. I love you guys. You guys are all the best cooks ever. Since I was a kid, I wanted to own a restaurant and I asked my dad to help me out. I'm very glad I did. Thank you, Dad. I love you so much. I love you too, buddy. I'm very proud of you. When he was about 14 years old, he told us that someday he was going to own a restaurant. After we all uh, gulped and gasped, he began to take him seriously, and the result is history in the making. They supported me so I can live up my dreams. I'm amazingly proud of my brother. Just what he's accomplished in his lifetime. I mean, people can only dream, you know? I love you, Mom. I love you too, honey. As far as we know, we have not yet found another person with Down Syndrome in this country that owns their own restaurant. We hope that other people will, though.
My favorite part of all is the people coming through that front door. How are you doing today? Good, how are you? Sometimes customers get sad. I give them a hug and then they feel a lot better. Oh, thank you, Tim. The hugs are way more important than the food. The food is food, so. <laughs> I did not let my disability cross the dreams. With people with disabilities, they can do anything. They set their minds to. They're special. We are a gift to the world. The backstory that, yes, <laughs> isn't God good? The backstory of, of this is this, that when they were pregnant with this young man, the parents were told, you know what, uh, you might want to consider getting rid of this child. Because there's a birth defect and it's Down syndrome. And, and there was a deep-seated faith that said, oh no, this life is valuable. And so they had him and they instilled him from the time, if you, and by the way, this is in Albuquerque where his, uh, where his restaurant was. It's, he's actually moved into other things now, but, but the, the parents, they instilled love in him and God's value in him and worth into him. And as a result, he is now instilling that value into others. The sky's the limit for him, church. But let me tell you this. That's great about Tim's place. But we're in God's place. And he's already said, I mean, he's given more hugs than even Tim can give, spiritually speaking. And our sign is right there. And everyone in our community and everyone around this world needs to know that they are loved. And they have value and a purpose. But our world is so good at doing the other. There's a, it's an understanding and a story study that was done, and we'll close with this. But there's a flea, you know the, what a flea is, and there. I mean, if you've ever seen one on your skin, I mean, it's just smaller, way smaller than a freckle. I mean, it's just so tiny. But here's the deal about a flea: it has a 36, the large, the highest it's ever been recorded. Evidently, is a 36 centimeter vertical, which is 14 inches. That's pretty huge when you think of well the fact that most humans many humans can't even jump 14 inches of a 14 inch vertical and so uh, you put this flea though they put this in the study this flea in a bottle and and with a lid and and after a while they noticed something that the fleas inside of the bottle would only jump just below that lid they would never jump higher than that at all and and then they would have baby fleas and generations follow and they would only jump right below that lid. So then they took them out of the bottle and they put them down and sure enough, they still would only jump to the place where that lid had been for their whole life. They never reached their full potential. Listen, our world holds a sin-cursed lid over the head of you and every person out there. It says, you're only worth this much. 
It's a lie that says you, 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 you should, don't deserve to be walked with through anything or anything like that. It's a lie. We hear it. You've heard it as a kid and maybe even as an adult. You're never going to amount to anything. You're not attractive enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You don't have enough degrees. But in Christ, I'm going to tell you something. You will find your legs again. In Christ, you will find your value. In Christ, you will understand you are worth the Son of God dying for. In Christ, we read these words in Galatians 2.20 that you will be crucified with Him on that cross. And then it will be no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life that you live in the flesh, you live by the faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave gave Himself for you. The lid has been taken off and you are fully loved and fully valued by Christ Jesus. No matter what your past, no matter what the sin, no matter what the pain that you caused, you are worth the life of the Son of God. The lid, church, has been lifted. We just need to proclaim that good news. Rise up, O men and women of God, and receive and walk and live in the gift of forgiveness that Jesus has already won for you. I want to tell you right now, if you're living under the lies of the enemy, if you're living under the past, if you're living under burdens that have been just been pushing you down and been having a lid over your head, I want to tell you that in Jesus Christ, the lid will be lifted off right now. I'm just going to challenge you. Maybe there's something in your life that you just realize, you know what? I've been doing or that has been done to me that is wrong, that is a lie. You will have new life in Jesus. And if you want to experience the fullness of who he is and who you were created in him, then I want to ask you, if you're feeling this sense of this today, that maybe you would answer the the Holy Spirit's leading this morning. Maybe come to the altar. There is a prayer team that would be willing to pray if you're here, if you want them to. But otherwise, this is a place that's really an intimate place between you and the Lord. And it's just us saying, you know what? I'd rather be under the power of Jesus Christ than under the power of sin any day. I surrender all to you, Lord Jesus. Today, uh, we're going to close, and I'd like to ask you to stand. As we stand together and we have this time for just an altar call, I don't, I don't know where you're at, what you've been dealing with this week. But I know that you already know this probably up here. But I want you to know it right here today that God is bigger than whatever you're going through. And he's greater than your struggle. My hope is found, He is my life, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still and striving cease, my comforter. My all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. 
Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless faith this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every Revelation 21 says this, Behold, Jesus said, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water, of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Good news, church. There in the ground, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost, it's grip on me, for I am His, and He is mine. Fall with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny No power of hell, no scheme of man Can never pluck me from his hand Till he returns or calls me home in the power of Christ I'll stand No power of hell No scheme of man Can never pluck me from his hand Till he returns Or calls me home Here in the power of Christ I'll stand Heavenly Father, thank you for the power that you've given to us through the cross. We thank you for the value you've given us through the cross. We thank you for the gospel message that you've given us, this good news of the cross. We thank you, God, that you came. And Lord Jesus, in you alone we find our worth, our value, our strength, our ability to love others. We lay it all down, Lord, that's not of you, so that you can turn it into your beauty. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you glad you came to church today? Amen. I'm so glad you came. I want you to know that as you walk from this place into your mission field, that you are walking in Christ. 
Let him live, move, and be through you all that he has called you to be. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. You are dismissed in his great love today.